0: Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening.
1: From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland and this is The Leader. They're calling it the final mile. One last push to get London and the country through this coronavirus pandemic. MPs are pleading for people to follow the guidance on mask wearing and social distancing as official figures show the infection is on the retreat. But it is not over yet. Other strains, as we've covered on this podcast, are out there. The government's introducing stricter quarantine rules on February 15th. Travellers on the red list of countries will have to stay in hotels for 10 days. But why that date? Our health editor, Ross Lydell, here. Ross, the government's been put on the defensive by saying it'll be another 10 days before these rules come into force.
2: Yes, well, February the 15th is shaping up to be quite a key date in the whole coronavirus affair, if you like. So first off, and probably the thing that will concern most people, is that by February the 15th, the one and a half million Londoners who are due to get a vaccine should have received their first dose by that date. And that's the... The groups in the one to four priority categories, you know, such as older people above 70 and NHS health and care workers. Now, what's happened today is that or last night, the government announced that it was finally going to go ahead with this idea of requiring incomers to the UK to put themselves up in a hotel for 10 days to quarantine to essentially prevent these various mutant strains of the virus from South Africa and Brazil and so on from getting into the country or you know further into the country and uh, what was clear today from an interview series of interviews that James cleverly the foreign office minister was giving is that the plans are uh, rather half-baked shall we say and um, attracting quite a lot of criticism they don't seem to be hugely welcomed by hotel groups at this stage And it could also be the government is actually picking up the bill here. It could be something like £55 million, because this is meant to last until the end of March, if we assume a sort of £80 a night rate, which probably is quite cheap for central London if you're arriving in the Eurostar. And then the government would have the tricky task, you'd think, of actually trying to get these travellers to repay the bill once they come out of quarantine. So it's it's something of a pickle as we stand, I think it's fair to say.
1: The government says that they're, they're taking the time to try and get this right, but Labour says it's all taking too long, that they've had a long time since the, the South Africa variant was identified.
2: Yes, it's been about 50 days, or it will be 50 days, by the time these new rules come in between knowledge of the variant and the, the harsher or tougher measures. And 50 days does sound like a long time. What James Cleverley was saying is it's quite a logistical challenge to get everything ready, you know, from the point that somebody enters the country, uh, whether it's at a port or airport, most likely, or at the Eurostar at St Pancras, to actually work out how to transport them safely to the hotel, which hotel they go to, and what the conditions are within these hotels, you know, because hotels that essentially sign up to this will have to be entirely uh, used as quarantine hotels you can't have a mix of domestic travelers not that there's many just now or business travelers and people quarantining that it seems to be all or nothing so there's practicalities there about who will be the, do the transporting who will then be looking after these people when they're in the hotel almost a sort of form of security guard to prevent them breaking the rules and then who's going to be delivering these three meals a day they'll be getting and there's those tea and coffee what happens if they want to go outside for a cigarette or a breath of fresh air, will he be allowed to do that? So there's various logistical challenges that have to be hammered out and uh, by the sounds of it, that's why... both the government and the hotel industry needs this extra sort of 10 days or so on to get all these fine details sorted.
1: There's been a lot said today about a a study that shows I think it's a third of people who take the coronavirus vaccine have some side effects but the regulator has uh, said that that as far as they're concerned these vaccines are safe and there are very few cases of people having adverse reactions.
2: Yes I think the, the difference here is The scale of the side effects we're talking about. The the survey you're referring to there is the Zoe study, which is the app that a couple of million people in the UK have been uh, regularly uploading uh, symptoms, complaints, and so on, or various issues uh, initially with the virus, and recently obviously adapted to include uh, people who'd had the jab who could then say, Have they had any side effects? So, Zoe then picked up the fact that people were complaining of having a sore arm or a bit, bit of a headache or a fever and this was probably about a third of people complaining about something but that's that's not un, that's not abnormal for people receiving any vaccine and that is what today's report from the MHRA the UK's medicines watchdog has found that basically it has looked at what's called a sort of yellow card reporting system it sounds a bit like a a sort of football match, doesn't it, that the referee gets a yellow card out to give you a bit of a warning. And what happens here is that this system was already in place for other vaccines and basically people who'd had a jab for whatever reason or more likely healthcare professionals or GPs could alert the MHRA to any concerning side effects. And what the MHRA said this morning is that of about 7.4 million jabs issued only in three out of every thousand jabs were any side effects reported. So they were able to say on that basis, this both these jabs are very safe and the benefits of taking them by far outweighs any danger they present.
1: That's all good news for the government who are trying to keep on track for reopening around about the springtime. There have, though, been issues, which you've reported on, Ross, about the number of jabs coming into London and whether London was getting its fair share. The government's been talking about that today, haven't they?
2: Yes. So this week we had the uh, almost heroic milestone achieved that more than one million Londoners have now received the first dose of a COVID vaccine, which is uh, quite phenomenal, really. Uh, you know, about 10 million across the UK. Uh, what happened in the first week or two was it was quite clear London was lagging behind the rest of the country. And this prompted Sadiq Khan to complain that London was not getting its fair share. Now, the most recent development here is that Nadim Zahawi, the government minister in charge of vaccine development and rollout, has promised personally that london will from now on get its what he said fair share uh, however at the same time our chief nurse here in london has admitted that the vaccine rollout while it's going well and is still sort of bang on target is not sort of running away with itself in the sense that about 4 in 10 healthcare and care home workers have yet to receive the jab So there's some big work still to be done. There's probably more than 300,000 people on that priority list in London still to get a jab. So basically, the promise is that the vaccines will be coming, but there's still work to be done to actually get them in arms.
1: You can read more from Ross in the newspaper or online at standard.co.uk. Follow the live blog to get breaking news. We've got an ad break now. Take a moment to subscribe so you never miss an episode of The Leader.
0: When do we plan to start?
1: And what a start. Some of you will know what happens next, but we can't run that bit. Hanforth Parish Council is the new drama sensation that everybody's talking about. Featuring a cast of unknowns, it's an excoriating look at power struggles, set against the backdrop of a Planning and Environment Committee meeting in a small Cheshire town. It's been compared to Shakespeare, Aaron Sorkin, and episodes of the US sitcom Parks and Rec. Our chief theatre critic Nick Curtis has seen it and joins me now to give his review of the first theatrical blockbuster of 2021. And the first thing is, Nick... This is a great show.
0: Yeah, I think very few dramatists would have the audacity to attempt to pack this much um, character and drama and comedy and mystery into such a, a short space of time. And um, I've now watched three different um, versions of it at different lengths, one at two minutes, one at about six and one at 18. Um, and even even at the 18-minute length, you, you're still boggling as to exactly what's going on, what all these people, you know, why all these people are at loggerheads, what the backstory is to it. Um, I mean, it could conceivably run and run.
1: It does have that perfect way to start off though, doesn't it? Introducing those characters and then that hint of a backstory, the chairman's previously been thrown out.
0: Can we be assured that we won't be thrown out of the meeting like we were last time? Um, I, as long as we have reasonable behaviour from everyone, no one would be excluded from the meeting.
1: And that leads us into this great power struggle, this wonderful piece of theatre.
0: It really does. And it, it's also, it's wonderful. It's a, it's a workplace drama in which absolutely no work gets done. But all they do is sit around arguing, um, quite often facing the wrong way or leaving the room or flushing a toilet or taking another phone call from someone.
2: Oh, hang on. I'm, yeah, I'm just in a meeting at the moment. Can I give you a call back when it finishes?
0: All they talk about is setting up a subcommittee of a of a working group of some uh, separate uh, subcommittee of something or other, and arguing about who is in which role. Which uh, again, as I say, watched it three times, I still don't. Re- I'm still not entirely sure who was the chairman, who's the, um, what the relationship was with the vice chairman and the clerk, um, and indeed who has authority, whether it's Jackie Weaver or who it is. You have no authority here, Jackie Weaver, no authority at all. She's just kicked him out. You have no authority, Jackie Weaver, I think is going to be the tagline of lockdown. I think it's going to be, that's going to be screamed at sort of Zoom and Teams calls across the land for the next few months until we actually crawl out of lockdown. Uh, Yeah, it's a a wonderful
1: line. There's almost like a twist in it, Nick, when it emerges. We've seen all the names and the labels appearing like you do on a Zoom call. Julie's iPad, for example, comes up. But then it emerges that the chairman had slyly changed his name at the bottom to the bottom to clerk of the clerk, of the, which, which apparently he can't do.
0: A very odd power move. I am, as far as I'm concerned, and any other councillors here this evening, he is not the clerk of parish council, whether or not he declares himself to be or not, or makes himself a badge that says, I'm the clerk of parish council. Um My understanding is he cannot do it. No. It is not- um, I also have an email from him saying that he has taken over as clerk. Of Hamforth Parish Council, well, I wish there were a sequel so <laughs> some of these some of these intriguing uh, plots could be uh, could be cleared up
1: and there is this almost Shakespearean moment when the vice chairman, after the chairman has been booted out, is trying to assert his authorities, and that incredible line read the articles and understand them comes but out read
0: the articles and understand them it is like it's, it's i mean in this within this two, six or eight minute drama. That is the equivalent of a sort of speech by Hotspur in The Wars of the Roses. It's, uh, it's an extraordinary assertion. They may now elect a chairman. No, they can't because the vice chair's here. I take charge. Read the standing orders. Read them and understand them! And then he seems to sort of disappear from the room and just sit muttering um, like some, like Gollum from Lord of the Rings in the background. <laughs> Have a team's meeting, you fool. Go on, go on. We're trying to have a team's meeting, yeah. you fool. We okay. can't if you've got that. And so, yes, I mean, that just makes you an even more intriguing character, really.
1: Now, you and I have watched a lot of online theatre I- in lockdown, Nick. We've seen a lot of things over Zoom. We've seen a lot of people trying to get Zoom right as a way to tell stories. Some people have been more successful than others. As a theatre critic, Nick, how many stars would you give this one?
0: Oh, I'd give this five, unquestionably. There's been. um. All the attempts by professional writers to write um, Zoom plays uh, don't hold a candle to this. This is, you know, this is absolutely superb, supreme. But this meeting has not been called according to the law, the law um, has been broken. It has been properly. Will called. you please let the chair? This is where please. Speak.
1: When he wasn't watching Hanforth Parish Council, Nick's also reviewed the West End production of Shook, which he says has revealed a powerful new voice with its debut writer Samuel Bailey. You can read his review of that online at standard.co.uk. That's leader. We're back on Monday.